Well, let me go ahead and say good morning to everyone. How are you all doing? All right, you are the survivors. You're making it. That's good. That's good. Are your minds overwhelmed yet? Good. Good. The morning is a wonderful time to hear the word. Our minds are refreshed. And I'm very grateful that we can go over a very important subject this morning where we're going to talk about lessons specifically from wheat and tares. There are some really, really good points from the word of God. And like I said, none of these things are, you know, exhaustive. You can always go deeper. So I'm just going to share some principles with us that I believe will take us a little bit higher in our understanding and hopefully in our experience with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we prepare to receive the word, as has been our custom, I am going to kneel for a word of prayer. And I'd like to invite you, if you are able to, to kneel with me. And if you can't kneel, just go ahead and bow your heads where you are. But let's pray together. Our loving Father, Lord, we are very grateful again for the gift of life. We thank you for the privilege to serve and to get to know you as it is our privilege to know you. And Lord, we bow our heads and we are upon our knees because we recognize your supreme power and your joy that you want to give to each of us, which would be a source of strength as we go through troublous times in this earth's history. And so we just ask, first and foremost, for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit, not merely to come into the building, but especially to be within our hearts. And Lord, we ask that you will give us wisdom that goes beyond our years, that we may not only hear, but know how to apply the words that we will receive at this time. And so I am thankful that because these things are according to your will, you have answered our prayer. And therefore, we say thank you. And now, Lord, help us to walk in the light as Christ is in the light. Is our prayer we ask in Jesus' name. Let everyone say amen. amen. You know, I remember you know, 30 plus years ago, I was in the world of entertainment, a dancer and choreographer in the hip hop and R&B industry and, uh, you know, on television dancing with the stars and it was this message you know it was this message that interrupt my path to stardom because God had a greater idea of being a star than what the world could offer and I remember when I joined the church I was like a sponge I was a high school dropout very very uneducated I mean I, I used school as a means of playing games and acting absolutely foolish and I did not take any class seriously. Well, actually, I liked English. For some reason, I liked the English class. But outside of that, you know, history was torture. Science was torture. Everything was just terrible. And I, I, I just, I hated it. And now I'm, I'm in this movement. And when I joined this movement, I began reading. And I was like, wow, what a phenomenon, reading. And, you know, and I, and I like what I'm reading. I'm serious. I have a special love for this church. I have a special love for this movement. Because it was God working through this movement that I am the man that I am today. And thank the Lord, he's not even finished with me yet. And I remember that as I would read, I would understand. And, and, and I mean, my elders, they didn't know that I'm a man that takes people at their word. If you say you're going to do something, then I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to hold you accountable to your word. And uh, I expect you to do the same to me. So one elder did a horrible thing. When I joined the church, he saw that I was on fire. So he said, hey... If you want to call me at any time with any questions, he says, you could do it. I said, all right. So one morning 
I'm up at about 2 a.m. And I'm trying to understand this book called the Bible because I'm not understanding a lot. And as I went through the Bible and I had this question, I was like, I don't understand it. And I said, oh, he said I can call him at any time. So I called him <laughs> and his phone rang and I remember his phone ringing and, and you know, he just said, uh, you know, Dwayne, I, I didn't mean it like that. But he said, but nevertheless, go ahead, go ahead. And he, you know, he allowed me to ask my questions. So I got pretty studious and I went to this Bible study probably several months after I was baptized. And when I went to this Bible study, there was this guy there and he had this paper in his hand. Always beware of people who come to Bible studies with printed papers. Just beware. I'm just saying, just be, have the alerts up. And I remember the brother came to me and said, hey, friend, you know, I see you like to study the Bible. I wanted to give you something. So he gave me this paper and the paper was saying that the Seventh-day Adventist church is Babylon. And, uh, you know, he gave Bible verses. He gave quotes from Ellen White. And I remember I was like, what? You know, because here I am. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm on the beast power. The beast didn't like me in my early years. I mean, it's like I, I had this energy and fire. Like anything that dealt with the Roman Catholic Church system and all these things. I mean, I'm teaching that thing and preaching it at subway stations. I would get whiteboards and write on free literature and I would have people come. I mean, this is, I'm, I am not even a year in the church. And we got a table laid out with all the amazing facts, booklets and everything. And people are coming by and I'm asking them silly questions. I'm like, do you know what the mark of the beast is? And they're like, no. And I'm like, how do you know you don't have it? That method worked. And they literally was like, I don't know. And I said, man, you need to read this book so you can find out. And they would just give me that literature. And we had people get baptized from that. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. It worked. <laughs> so I remember really being excited about this thing. So to get this paper now that's telling me the church is Babylon, I said, what? So I remember I read the paper and it was very convincing. The other thing that people don't know about me is that I'm a very open man. What I feel is often what I say. Now, I'm much, much better at this now. But back then, oh, forget about it. What I felt, I said it. You know, I always wore my feelings on my sleeve. So I remember that I came to my elders, a group of elders, walked into the room. I said, gentlemen, do you have a moment? They said, um, yeah, what's going on? I said, bad news. And they was just like, what's the bad news? I said, the church is Babylon. We got to get out. And I mean, this is a true story. I'm telling them, I said, the church is Babylon. We got to get out. We got to do it now. You guys told me, make haste, delay not, keep my commandments. Psalm 119.60. I mean, like, literally, I'm memorizing verses now. So I'm giving them the verses back. We must make haste and we must delay not. We got to get out. We got to get all the saints out of here. And Elder James, bless his heart. Elder James, so quiet, calm, cool, and collected. Elder James comes to me and he says, so what, what brought you to this conclusion? Because these guys were my mentors. And I said, well, I said, I read this little document here. And he said, could I see it? And I said, sure. And then he took it. And then he said, Dwayne, um, I got a question for you. Now, remember, I said I was uneducated, right? He said, these quotes that the person gave from Ellen White, what do those dot, 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 dot represent? And I was like, it means that she's making her point, period, 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 period. 
I can't make this stuff up. <laughs> True story. And Elder James just gently smiled and gave me an education on grammar and those type of things. And he said, Dwayne, this is an indication that the quote is not finished. Let's go back to each quote. We went back to each quote, and praise the Lord, here I am still 30 years later. My point is very simple. God's church and God's people do have problems. No question about it. But God loves this church. God loves his people. And God has a plan to deal with all of the crazy stuff that's happening right now. And all he's trying to do is get an army of youth and adults that can be rightly trained and properly train others. That we can effectively do God's work and be instruments in his hands, even by his grace, for the finishing of his work. You see, the Bible is very, very clear when we read the book of Zechariah chapter 2. You got to remember that when God made these statements, he was saying this about an imperfect people. He was saying this about people that there was apostasy in the ranks. He was saying this about a people who were confused at times. God said in Zechariah 2 and verse 8, he said, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that touches you touches what? The apple of his eye. This is how God looks at even his frail and weak people. It was also in the book of Jeremiah 31 and verse 3 that you'll remember that the Bible says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with what kind of love? Even in the midst of sometimes individuals once holding to the truth and apostatizing, even in the midst of those who once were preaching the truth as it is in Jesus, and now today they are teaching spurious and foul doctrine. And even when these things can take place in our ranks, that does not stop God's love for those precious souls. God says, I've loved you with it. What kind of love? It's an everlasting love. God has a special love and a special fidelity towards the very ones whom he raised up to give the final clarion call to the world to let them know, prepare to meet thy God. And my brothers and sisters, there is not a minister that exists today that's popular that calls individuals out of the organized body that I do not know personally. Let me repeat that. There is not a minister that is popular. You, know, you always got a lot of unpopular guys trying to make a name for themselves. But there's not a minister. I know every single one of them. All these ministers that are out there trying to tell everybody the church is so messed up. We need to start our own independent churches and do our own. I know, I know every single one of them. We used to hang out together. We used to eat together and break bread together. Some of them I used to teach. And now today, some of them are really popular. And they grab the hearts and minds of not only God's people, but many of you, probably even in this room. And some of us are being sucked in by their spurious teachings because they're so charismatic. They're so powerful. They mightily use the Bible and spirit of prophecy. I remember, brothers and sisters, talking to one of these guys. He was really sharp, very sharp guy. I mean, you could ask him a question and he had quick answers. You know, he, he could answer you in, in, in less than five seconds, it seemed. And I remember one day I asked him a question when he broke away from the organized body of Seventh-day Adventists and began to start his own thing and all this other stuff. I remember I asked him a question. I said, let me ask you a question. Because he would always say, Dwayne, 
the seventh day Adventist church, it's not Babylon. He would make that very clear. It's not Babylon. But then he would manipulate the scriptures and the spirit of prophecy to try to still rationalize why it's okay to come out. You know, take irregular and regular lines and, and mess up what, what the prophet was trying to say to come up with some other methodology that would endorse their foul practices. And so I remember, I said, let me ask you a question. Is the Seventh-day Adventist church Babylon? Yes or no? He didn't realize that like Jesus, I was setting him up for a trap. You remember Jesus did that with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, is he a prophet? Yes or no? The Pharisees was like, man, if we say yes, Jesus is going to say, well, why didn't you follow him? And then they were like, but if we say no, man, we'll be persecuted by the people because everybody knew John was a prophet. So the best answer they gave was, uh, we're not going to tell you. We're not going to answer that. And Jesus said, well, then I'm not going to answer you either. And then he goes on and continues his mission. Very smart man. Oh, I want to be like Jesus. The Seventh-day Adventist church, is it Babylon? Yes or no? He said, no. I said, oh, you set yourself up. I said, so here's the next question. Is it the remnant? And remember I told you he could answer everything very quick? One hour, 30 minutes later, he was still answering the question. And he never could answer the question. I said, brother, are you trying to tell me that a movement that has approximately 20 to 25 people is in over 200 countries worldwide, totally organized? Are you telling me that there's a movement that exists in the last days that is neither remnant or Babylon? But it just dwells somewhere in the middle there? Show me that in Revelation. Show me that in Daniel. Where do we see that? We have to understand that it is true. God prophesied about the very group that is the apple of his eye. God prophesied about the very movement that he says, I have love with an everlasting love. And here's some things he said about it. You'll remember that it was right there in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that God said, this know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, and lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. The next verse says, from such... Oh, no, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now, the world does not have a form of godliness. The world is sinful and the world is absolutely bold about it. The world is unapologetic about their sinful and evil ways. But it is the church that has a form of godliness, an imagery of righteousness. But at the end of the day, this is the darkness that's happening within. God prophesied that in the last days, the ones whom he has an everlasting love for, God has prophesied in the last days that the very people who are professing my name, God says, within those ranks, perilous things shall take place. 
We need to understand that forms of godliness equals no power. And that's why my class yesterday was talking about the secret to a life of power, which is communion with God in nature. We're told in Ministry of Healing, page 51. I told everybody, all, all teachers in this room, you know I got nothing but love for you. But I did have to tell the class yesterday, I said, my class is the most important class. <laughs> now, I didn't say that because of arrogance. Jesus agrees with me. Because, listen, everything we learned, everything that we learned in all the other classes, if we do not have the power of God attending whatever it is we're trying to do for ourselves or share with others, will it not be null and void? Yes or no? It's going to be null and void, right? So you know what my class talked about yesterday? Ministry of Healing, page 51. And I didn't say it in the spirit of competition. What I said it was in, in the spirit of education and enlightenment to say first things first. Here's what Ministry of Healing, page 51 says. The Savior's life on earth was a life of communion with nature and with God. In this communion, he revealed for us the secret to a life of power. And brothers and sisters, I've seen, I've seen so much. Pastor Wahlberg, I know you've seen it. And there's a lot of us who have seen so many mighty, brilliant stars in the movement that have gone out in darkness. Am I right? Oh, yes, we've seen that. And the number one thing that I ask every single individual that I know that apostatized from the present truth, I ask them, what was your communion life with God several months before you left? Before you turned back to the world and all these things, what was your communion life like? And you would be amazed at how almost 99.9% their communion life was in shambles. And then after that, Satan did a mighty takeover. You see, God wants us to understand that as much as he loves us and as much as he has prophesied that we are the movement, he will work through in the very last moments of Earth's history. And he is continually developing himself in our hearts. God wanted us to also remember that in the last days, many in the church will practice abominations. Repeat the sins of Israel of old. They will be thoroughly self-righteous. And God's love will fade away from their hearts because of the rise of sin. All of this is what God prophesied in the Bible of what will happen amongst his people. And this is why we're not safe just being in the building. We have to remember there's a difference between being in the building and having our names on the books. Rather than having that name of God that he wants to put on each and every one of our foreheads as a result of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so the reality, sad as it is, this is God's church. I believe that with all of my heart. But I also know that while we may be out of the location of Babylon, there are many of us that are still in the condition of being Babylonian. And God is trying to say a change must take place. And this is why the more that I see crazy stuff happening in the church, it lets me know I'm in the right place. Are you following that? I hope you got that. In other words, the more that I see abominations taking place, the more that I see crazy foul doctrines, the more that I see all of this apostasy and the list goes on, it lets me know, thank the Lord. Okay, I'm in the right place. Fulfilling the prophecy, just as God said it. But the question is, what do I do? Do I break away and start up another independent movement? No, that's not the answer. 
I have a friend of mine who said something that I'm going to give to you as a wisdom key. Don't ever forget this, okay? It'll, it'll save you from a thousand perils. It might literally save your life. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. And I promise I will not mislead you. And if any of you disagree with what I said, just raise your hand and say, I disagree. And I will accept that. You ready? Okay, here we go. I don't think you'll have a problem with this statement. Repeat after me. An inspired problem requires an inspired solution. Who disagrees with that? I didn't think so. That's a listen. If you take heed to what I just shared with you, you will be saved from a thousand perils. People often take the Bible to say inspiration said that this was going to happen. Inspiration said this was going to happen. Inspiration said this was going to happen. They, they, they love to tell us about the inspired problems. The Bible and the spirit of prophecy told us that ministers are going to do this. Conferences are going to do that. People are going to do this and people at churches are going to do that. We've met these people, I'm sure. But isn't it interesting that when you say to them, OK, uh, you show me the inspired problem. What's the solution? And then they say, well, what we need to do is this. And I marvel at how many times we will hear inspired problems and man made solutions. Every inspired problem requires an inspired solution. Oh, brothers and sisters, I promise you, if you live by that principle, you'll be saved from a thousand perils. This is your best formula for avoiding apostasy and error and all the rest. Inspired problems requires inspired solutions. So what does God say? Is the inspired solution. And, and it's, it's very interesting because, you see, even though these things are happening in our church, do you know what God said about that? Look at what he said. Although there are what? Ah, although there are evils existing where? In the church. Don't be afraid to say it. It's true. <laughs> it, don't be afraid. It's just true. There are evils that exist in the church. It's true in Israel of old. It is true amongst Israel in the last days. It was true with God's first denominated people. It is true with God's last denominated people. It says, although there are evils existing in the church and will be how long? Until the end of the world. The church in the last days is to be the light of the world that is polluted and demoralized by sin. So our world is polluted. Our world is demoralized by sin. And God says, even though these evils exist in the church, stay focused. Stay focused to the mission. Now notice what it says next. It says the church. Now this is God's church. It says the church enfeebled and defective, needing to be reproved, warned and counseled is the what's the next word only object upon earth upon which christ bestows his 
supreme regard. That's the truth. That's the truth. Praise God for that. And so, Lord, what do we do? We got people in the church that are like weeds. They just want to constantly suck out the life of the true plan. And you know what God's answer was? Let the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest. That's what the word tares mean. Tares is a weed. That's what a tear is. It's a weed. And the wheat is the true grain. And God says, let them both grow together. And you, you kind of ask yourself, Lord, well, why? Like, why would you want wheat and tares to grow together? I mean, in any other case, you know, I'm sure somebody had to run a class on how to get rid of weeds, how to have a weedless garden. You know, we, 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 we hold classes and courses and all sorts of things about the dangers of weeds, the problems with weeds and, and how to get rid of them and how to have gardens without it, etc. But here goes God saying, well, actually, I want the wheat and the tares. I want the weeds and the good grain. I want them to grow together. How long, Lord? Until the harvest. And the harvest represents the end of the world, the end of probationary time. That's a long time. But the question is, why? Well, I went to almanac.com. I try to get good sources, reliable sources. I think we at least hopefully like a little something about Almanac. It's kind of like a farmer's guide to some degree or another. Of course, we have inspiration. We got a prophet in Israel, so we're ahead of Almanac. But nevertheless, November 24, 2021, they made a powerful statement about weeds that I thought was very, very interesting. It says, when weeds arrive, it's often an index of what is wrong, though sometimes what is right, with the soil. And I thought to myself, I said, now that's deep. Weeds, because again, I'm trying to understand, Lord, why would you want wheat and tares to grow together? In most cases, in the practice of, you know, agriculture, we don't want them to grow together because we look at them often as a hindrance, which is right. Nevertheless, it says here, when weeds arrive, it's often an index of what is wrong, though sometimes what is right with the soil. For example, Weeds with deep tap roots such as dandelions and burdock indicate compacted soil lacking in water, air and nutrients. Therefore, it says weeds are not inherently the problem. And I appreciate that point. The weed in and of itself is not inherently the problem. They are a what? Symptom and generally a troubled system. If we learn to read the weeds as clues to our soil's condition, we can help the soil recover. I like that. Because yesterday we learned lessons from the soil. And we know that Jesus equated, especially in the parable of the sower, Jesus equated the human heart to what? Soil. Could it be that God says, let the wheat and tares grow together because there's actually a benefit, contrary to the, the, the literal agricultural understanding of this, right? There's actually a benefit that can come from the wheat being amongst the tares, or rather being amongst the grain, the wheat and the tares growing together. Maybe there's something that God wants us to understand. And so what I'm doing here is I'm just going to go over two reasons, just two. Two reasons wheat and tares need to grow together according to the word of God. The first reason is, as we already said, when certain weeds grow, it is an indicator that there is something the soil is lacking that it needs. 
You know, meetings like this, we can almost call them wheat meetings. Because you're here, you paid money, you know, like canvassing, you know, you, you, we sell books because we want people to, to it's kind of like trade God for God, right? When you do canvassing, you're trading God for God. Like for a lot of people, their money is their God. And so we, when we bring the truth-filled literature, we have the testimony of the true and living God. And so when we knock on that door, we're trying to trade God for God. You know, give up your God to receive something about the true and living God, right? We're trying to help them let go of the thing that they cherish. Pay for it, because when you pay for it, it's a bit of a sacrifice. And what you sacrifice for, you typically will take a little bit more seriously. And that's what we do. In meetings like this, when you paid to be here, you know, you're serious. You're here because you're like, look, I, I want to learn. I want to understand. That's why I'm here. I paid for this. I invested in this. Right. So that means we have something pretty incredible in common, which is we are here because we want to learn. We want to understand that there's some already developed degree of value that we have towards understanding agriculture and all of what it applies to in last days. So I call this a wheat meeting. We're all on the same page. It's a wheat meeting. But the problem is, what happens if somebody comes up here and says, you know, agriculture is foolishness. We don't need to learn all this stuff. You farmers need to get a real job. <laughs> you know, what if somebody said that? What if somebody said, man, you're teaching righteousness by works, talking about microgreens and all of this thing. Listen, this stuff doesn't save us. Jesus said, Jesus is my nutrient. Right? You know, I mean, the point is, is that what if somebody totally disagrees with everything that we're trying to do to honor and glorify God and practically prepare people for his coming? The question is, how do you treat them? What's going on in your mind? You don't really know the true condition of your heart until you run into someone that opposes everything you stand for. Isn't that right? You remember that story I told you about the guy who was an anti-Trinitarian? With all of his friends that they agree, they probably all talk like this. Remember that? The guy who bends low, fake humility? You know, the, hey, brother, yeah, brother, you know, isn't that deep, brother? But what happens when someone disagrees with you? All of a sudden, look, you don't know. And, and this stuff comes out of us that was already in us. You ever had somebody that got you so mad that some things came out of your mouth that you wish you could just <gasps> catch it and put it back inside? Even if it was towards your own wife, your own husband, your own children. God wants us to understand, beloved, that one of the reasons why he allows that wheat and tear to grow together is because the tares helps the wheat understand the true condition of the soil. Some of us need more patience. Some of us need to be more temperate. Some of us need to stop talking and start praying more. Sometimes God allows us to come in contact with people that are so thoroughly ungodly and are dedicated to tearing down every pillar of the faith. And God says, one of the reasons why I allow those tares to still be amongst the wheat is because they will be an instrument 
in my hand to help the individuals who are truly following me see their true condition. And I know some of us in here have been shocked by some of our own behaviors and our own actions and our own words. When we ran into somebody who really thoroughly opposed us on something we really cherished. And God wanted us to see that because the only thing that gets us off this planet into the kingdom is a Christ like character. That's the only thing we take with us off of this planet into heaven. And if you and I are lacking in the virtues of character of Christ's character, God says, listen, there's a wonderful statement in volume five of the testimonies to the church. Page 707. Please write that down. Volume five of the testimonies to the church. Page 707. I want to encourage you to read it. It's a very, very good writing. And it says. God will arouse his people. Now, I want you to think about this. Arouse is to awaken, to enliven, right? God's desire is to awaken us to deeper thoughts, awaken us to his beauty, awaken us to his holiness, right? So listen to the quote. God will arouse his people. Here's how the next sentence states. If other means fails... That means that God was trying to do some things to awaken us, but it didn't work. Here's the rest of the quote. God will arouse his people. If other means fail, heresies will come in. And will begin to sift them. In other words, God, when we wonder, how did all this heresy start coming into our church? It's because God allowed it. You see, some of you know the subject of the Holy Spirit so well now, but it was because you came in contact with an anti-Trinitarian. Are you following that? Some of us knows that the church is not Babylon and you will never be able to convince me to call people out of God's organized body. But how did we get that depth of study? It was because somebody came and said the church is Babylon. Are you following? Sometimes we become so stronger in the Lord as a result of something foul that came in our presence and attacked the very words of God. Some of us are more patient than ever before because we could remember a time we really lost it with somebody and we feel terrible about it. What I'm trying to tell you is one of the reasons God allows those wheat and tares to grow together is because weeds helps us understand the condition of our soil of our hearts, what we're lacking in. And this is one of the reasons why God says, no, I want them both to grow together until the harvest. Let them grow together. Because one of the reasons in agriculture that we learn is that weeds are very, very good in letting us know you need some more phosphorus. You need some more lime. You need some more calcium. You need some more this, that, and the other. Those weeds help us see that. And so it is with God. When those tear-like individuals are in the church, And they do things sometimes that we say, oh, Lord, couldn't we just can we have an Elijah flashback? Just bring the fire down. (laughs) And I had to admit, I've had those thoughts about certain people at times. Not not so much the fire thing, but like, man, if I never saw them again, I wouldn't even miss them. 
because there's just such a thorn in the flesh. And Jesus says, now all I'm Jesus said, all I'm asking you, is that my mind? Is that my mind? And so one of the reasons why God allows the wheat and tares to grow together is it's a wonderful way of helping us see what we need more of when it comes to the fruit of God's spirit. The other reason why God wants the wheat and tares to grow together is because as you can see, in the early stages, it's hard to tell the difference. We might end up uprooting wheat when we thought it was a tear. And God wants us to understand that another reason why he calls the wheat and tares to grow together is to teach us patience and trust. Because in the early stages, it's hard to tell the difference of who is who. And we need to be careful that we practice proper, I'll use this modern term, damage control. You do not want to try to uproot someone that looks like they're horrible people. Brothers and sisters, I guarantee I'm a very different man than who I was 30 years ago when I joined this church. Quite honestly, I'm a different man than who I was just five years ago. Very different man. And man, if I was messed up five years ago and somebody would have uprooted me, I would have lost my opportunity to be where I am today. And so one of the reasons God says let wheat and tares grow together is because he's saying, look, I want you to understand that. Yes, it looks bad right now, but you don't understand. I'm working on them. And though they are foul today, I promise you, I remember I went to uh, Bermuda and I went, went, went to work with a church and the pastor I was told by others that the pastor is compromising and all this other stuff. But I'm a super friendly guy. Like, I am a lover of people. Okay? God put that thing in my heart. It's like, I love people. It doesn't matter where you're from or whatever. It's all good. And I'm real comfortable in my skin. Like, I know how to be 100% undiluted Dwayne. And be around you and be like, hey, how you doing? You know, and just, you know, become a friend. Right? And I love people. I love making friends. I just love it. So... I'm there, and I heard what they said about the pastor. I heard what they said about the church. But you know what I did? Went to that church. They brought me in to speak. And I started speaking the word of God. And then I would hang out with the pastor. Me and him would just hang out. Hey, let's go eat. Let's go talk. His spouse talking to my spouse. I'm talking to him. We have children. We hang out together, talk. And as we were talking and all these things, we began to develop a bond. And I began to just open up more to him about my life. And he would open up to me. And he said, you know, Dwayne, he says, I really like what, we, what we've done. And I noticed that his mind became very open. You see, when I came in, he thought I was another one of those mercenary preachers. You know the mercenary preachers. You know, they come in, take the word of God. I mean, just fire the people up. Blow everybody away. And then... The weekend's over. All right, pastor, clean it up. And then we leave. So he thought I was coming in like that. But he saw, nope, I love these people. I care for these people, man. Let's do this together. And so he brought me back. And we did some more one more souls. Brought me back again. We did more one more souls. Before you know it, I was in Bermuda six times. Me and him became just good buddies. He shared, Dwayne, how do you understand these things? He didn't understand all these principles of present truth. But at the end of it, he received the present truth. And then 
he got elevated to second in command in the conference. And guess what he did? He opened up the door for more present truth to come on the island. Now, if I would have just gone off of the words of my buddies and just said, oh, he's another apostate minister just trying to do whatever. But no, Jesus came to save apostate people. He came to minister. And through that ministry coming together, something wonderful is happening on the island of Bermuda to date. What I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, is the time will come. One of the reasons says let him grow together because he's doing damage control. And he wants to make sure that we do not uproot the good while thinking that we were uprooting the bad because we don't have the ability to read motives. But he says, let them grow together until when? The harvest, because it's at the harvest time. It gets very clear, doesn't it? It gets very, very clear. When harvest time comes, now the distinction is quite clear. And it is not a problem. And my brothers and sisters, sometimes there are going to be evil people in the church. There's going to be those who are against God and his truth. And there will be those who just do not want to comply because they're tares and an enemy sowed them in. But Jesus says, just let the two grow together. Jesus says, I, I don't, you may not know how to identify, but he says, but I do. I search the reins. I try the heart. And what God says is you keep laboring, you keep working and you keep even being a witness to them of what a consecrated heart is like. And when the harvest time comes, God says, I will deal with them. I will deal with them. And this is why, again, the Bible says, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Inspiration says, sinners who make a pretension of piety mingle for a time with the true followers of Christ. And the semblance of Christianity is calculated to deceive many. But in the harvest of the world, there will be no likeness between good and evil. Then those who have joined the church, but who have not joined Christ will be manifest. And so, my brothers and sisters, God has a plan. People catch us off guard. But no one catches God off guard. He says, let the wheat and the tares grow together. You continue to stand for truth. You continue to do all that you can to be a light to others. You continue to plead with God, Lord, give me a genuine love for souls, including the ones who are not acting in accordance to your will. For let us never forget, we were once the enemies of God, according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. And God will work out those differences because no one knows the heart like him. And my brothers and sisters, my hope and my prayer is that we will remember when we work our gardens, because one thing we're going to come in contact with for sure are some weeds. And when you behold those weeds, you'll remember these lessons from the wheat and the tares. You'll remember, brothers and sisters, it's not to say that we're going to let weeds stay in the garden. We know that, yes, they need to be removed, etc. But there's some deeper lessons that God wants us to consider. Again, this is not an exhaustive study. But this is just something to help us get on a journey of deeper study as we continue to see how once again the world of agriculture can help us understand so many beautiful and powerful things about God, his word, and how he wants to impact and affect each and every one of our lives. I have a question for you. How many of us understood the study this morning?
Do we understand the study? Amen. By the grace of God, my hope and my prayer is that we will operate in the instructions of our heavenly commander. And even when we identify those who behave like tares and be careful about being fooled of those who we think are wheat. May God give us discernment to let not our will, but his will be done. Are you willing to do that? Then let's stand to our feet and have a word of prayer on that. Our heavenly father, we thank you once again, Lord, for just reminding us, even through an experience that should be ours daily, if we are privileged to have country locations and gardens and farms, Lord, we, we can relate to a lot of these lessons so much easier. And so I just pray that you will help us to gain every understanding that you want to give of why you have the wheat and the tares grown together and that we might truly operate according to your word. Bless us now as we go throughout the remainder of this day. Thank you for hearing our prayer. For we do ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.